Well, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And I want to read a well-known story, um, the story of uh, the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the, shepherds had told, what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. May God bless his holy word to us. Let's uh, pray for a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we pray you'd help us uh, to learn from it and to discover great things in these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, you maybe, wonder, maybe you're wondering why I'm why I'm reading from Luke's Gospel, when I said we're in a series that we're going to be looking at uh, from John's Gospel. Um, and I'd, I had planned to, to look at a verse from John, but I, I came to the conclusion last week that the series, Why Has Jesus Come Out, I felt had run its course by, uh, after I prepared this morning's sermon. So, uh, so this evening I wanted to think instead about the glory of God that was displayed at the announcement of the birth of our Lord Jesus. And with this, uh, I'm thinking about verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, The the birth of Jesus is is described in the first seven verses. And it's it's done in a very matter-of-fact way. It's 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 a very unsentimental description of the birth of Jesus. Uh, there's nothing that uh, seems to me that is especially designed to, to move the emotions. That's what sentimentality is. It just uses all the tools to move the emotions. Uh, and there's kind of nothing much there. It is it's moving in a different way, but not through the devices that Luke uses. And, and what we find here is there's a, a decree from Caesar, Augustus, uh, to, to register in your hometown. So, so Joseph uh, being... Uh, descended from David, 
goes with his betrothed Mary to Bethlehem. And while, while they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. And, and it has to be in a, that Jesus is placed in a, in a manger, you know, a feeding trough uh, for, the, for, the, for animals. Uh, that's all that can be used because there was no room for, for them in the inn. But when we get to the story of the shepherds, we get an insight of, of what's going on, I think, in, in the hearts of, of the shepherds. Because uh, and we get a sense of the, the significance of what has just happened. Because the shepherds move from uh, this sensation of being filled with fear in verse 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear to verse 20, where they they reached the heights of joy. So verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And the reason that they're full of joy is because of what they've seen. They've seen uh, amazing things in the sky. And uh, they've seen the angel of the Lord when they're out in a field. And they've had this delivery of uh, the message of of good news, and then there's this, this multitude of angels, this host of angels that appears. Uh, and uh, one of my uh, ministerial colleagues pointed out in a blog post this week that, of course, when you see the Lord of hosts, we're not just talking about a choir, although it was a choir, we're talking about an army. In a sense, here is a, here's a declaration of war. And there is victory coming. And uh, you may want to ponder that uh, as, you, as we think about these, the rest of this uh, as we go through the sermon. But, um, but that, that great multitude, uh, then they, they appear, they sing, and then in an instant they're gone. They return into heaven in verse 15. And so these, these shepherds, they go to Bethlehem and they find Jesus and, they, and then they tell everyone what they've seen and heard. And in all of this, they are filled with that sense of uh, eagerness and wonder and amazement at everything that has happened. So wouldn't you be? You'd be filled with just an amazing sense of how am I so privileged to have seen this? And at the center of this account is this, uh, this song that uh, the multitudes sing in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is blessed. Now I just want to reflect this evening on this idea of the glory of God and the effect it has on people. And it has different effects on different people at different times. Uh, and the first thing I want to say is that the glory of God... An appearance of the glory of God brings fear. An appearance of the glory of God brings fear. Just think about these shepherds. Here they are, they're on the mountainside, um, they're looking uh, after their sheep. Um, that's what they do, they're shepherds. And, uh, and then something spectacular happens. Something supernatural happens. An angel of the Lord, verse 9, appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, I just ask, wouldn't you be filled with fear? You're just going about your ordinary business. 
you're on the hillside, it's dark, and suddenly, it's kind of like this, <laughs> I don't know, is it like a spotlight or something? <laughs> uh, just shining all around you, but you know, infinitely greater than these lights up here. But infinitely greater, and, and you're just suddenly, you're, you're scrambling around thinking, what's going on here? And maybe you think you're in great danger. And maybe you're looking for uh, weapons or something, a staff or some rocks or, or something to defend yourself because you're scared and suddenly you, you fear for your life. Something amazing is happening all around you. you, know, you maybe you're thinking, okay, well, maybe that's just a fairy story. Uh, that's a, you know, some people do, do think that. It's just a fairy story. It's promoted by people as a, a fairy story. And some mainstream churches talk about it as a fairy story. But I want to suggest to you that that's unrealistic. This, is, this really happened. It really was a thing. Um, just think about what is said about other people in this passage. Now look at verse 17. You'll see this. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her, her heart. There's, uh, here's Mary gathering up all these things. These testimonies, these eyewitness testimonies of amazing things that have happened. And, he, and along comes Luke at a much late, later stage. Remember how Luke puts together his, his gospel? If you look back to chapter 1. And uh, verses 1 to 4. And Luke tells his friend Theophilus what he's, how he's put this account together. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken, undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. You see, this is all about gathering up eyewitness testimony, um, writing it down, making an orderly account, so that there's a record for posterity. This really happened. This is the testimony of these men. And and so Luke is presenting these as, as facts for us to believe. And here's these men, so these shepherds, they are full of fear. They see this, and they're absolutely terrified. And let's, so let's not have the, this idea that this is a little nativity play. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, it's difficult to convey in a nativity play. Maybe you shouldn't try and convey a nativity play. But this is a terrifying experience. This is what happens when someone is bumped out of their everyday life with God and he or she is brought face to face with divine things. It's like when you're, you're fast asleep and then you're rudely awakened. And you're scrabbling around thinking, why have I been wakened up? What's going on? Ah, 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 like this, you see. And this is what they're like. And, and there's panic. And you're trying, they're trying to make sense of what's going on here. 
And then it dawns on them that they're in the presence of glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They're in the presence of divine glory. What an amazing thing. When you've been woken up like that, the glory of the Lord is a fearful thing. And they were, they were deeply afraid. Is my life going to end? Is this it? Most people today go through their lives with their heads down, as it were. They're focused on their daily lives, their jobs, their families, a bit of entertainment, maybe a nice holiday or two, or, uh, a few luxuries here and there. But most people actually also go through this, their lives with this niggling thought in their minds that maybe there's something more than simply that those, those things. Because no matter how much they say to themselves, but perhaps no matter, no matter how much I'm, I enjoy what I'm doing and who I'm going to be with today, one day it's all going to come to an end. And the decay of death, you see, takes hold of them. And they realize that they're going to die like their parents or their grandparents before them. And death is going to come. And maybe there's got to be something more than this. They begin to ask the question, is, there, is this all that there is? Is there more to life than this life that I know already? And often such a, a question scares people. And the reaction to that, that, that fear that they experience in asking that question is to double down on, on this life and try and extract, extract more out of this life. And it becomes a life, you see, that's driven by fear. All those people are pursuing where you know, what their hearts want to do and have their bucket list and are doing their bucket list things and... And so on. And they're just doing this and that. And they've got to do this and do that. Before I run out of time. It's fear driven. Maybe I'm going to miss out. But it never truly satisfies of course. And I think these men were, were doing what perhaps they've been doing for years. Scratching out a living in the field. Doing the only thing they knew how to do. Looking after their sheep. And day after day. Week after week. Year after year. Their heads were down. And they were just doing the ordinary things. But then something happens. As it were, something from another world seems to invade their lives. A world perhaps that they had sought to suppress and ignore. But now it's unignorable. The very presence of God seems to be with them and they are filled with fear. This is the kind of thing that happens. To almost every person I have known who has come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like divine glory has invaded their lives. Maybe not in such a dramatic sense as this. But there is that sense of an invasion of God into their lives. And at first it can be so disturbing and unsettling. Because as it were, you suddenly find yourself, as it were, naked before the glory of God. With nothing to shield you, nothing to protect you. And maybe for a moment you feel, maybe for an extended period of time, you feel that your life is going to be over soon. In the presence of God. That's how many people become Christians. The experience is preceded by that sense of helplessness. And fear before the holiness of, a, of the glory of God. I wonder if this has happened to you. Maybe 
it's even happening to you as we speak. The sense of the glory of God in our, in our midst. And every fiber of your being maybe wants to get up and run and, and walk out of this place to get away from the, uh, the presence of divine glory. Uh, let me encourage you, stay with us for a bit longer. Hang on in there. Because we need to understand something a bit more. Here's the second thing. The glory of God with Jesus brings joy. The glory of God with Jesus brings joy. We have to account for the fact that the shepherds were transformed from fearful men to joyful men at the end. And drawing attention to the glory of God. Actually pointing people to the glory of God. What accounts for this? Well, it is, of course, that, it is the revelation, that the revelation of God's glory comes with good news. You see verse 11? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. A Savior. Saved from what? <laughs> to properly recognize who this baby, baby was, you need to be able to answer that question. What did he come to save from? We get an idea of that later in the gospel, uh, gospel of Luke, where Luke tells us the Son of Man, or Jesus tells us the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. One of Luke's reasons why Jesus came. And there is that profound sense in which the world in which we move and live is profoundly lost. It's out in the wilderness. It's lost. It's desperate. It doesn't know what to do. It's trying to find a way to happiness and peace. Yet yeah, tries, it might, it cannot find it. And here's the baby, the Savior, who's come to save such people. But he's also the Christ. What does Christ mean? Well, it means the anointed one. And all I simply want you to remember about this name is that Christ was promised long, long before he appeared. And the reason there's an Old Testament at all is to tell us about the coming Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ, all pointing forward to Jesus. All the signs and types and shadows and pointers of various kinds pointing to Jesus. And here he is. He's come. As a baby, the Savior has come. And so this, this announcement is a, is a great one. It's a huge one. And it's made to these humble shepherds on a hillside one night. And it's, a, it's an announcement that's accompanied by this great choir of heavenly angels singing, Glory to God in the highest. As I said, it's a great army. It's a great statement of war. And the war is going to be won with this king at its head, who's a, a baby in a manger at this point. And all of these angels, the vast host of them, the multitude of them, all drawing attention to the glory of God and pointing to the greatness of God. And who, who is this God who would send his son into the world? Isn't he great? And that glory which struck fear into the unsuspecting shepherds now becomes a, a source of, of worship and praise to those shepherds. And the greatest delight of this host of heaven and ultimately to the shepherds is to be able to, to draw attention to the glory of God 
to point to him. It's from that glory that his infinite goodness is seen. And it's out of his goodness and love that the Savior has come and has now been announced. So the, so the, the glory of God comes, becomes something to be rejoiced in. Because he's no longer seen to be a fearsome enemy. The glory of God with Jesus shows us that he's, he is our friend. And so it becomes a, a motive for life now to, to live for his glory, to, to glorify God. Not in the sense that somehow you and I can add to his glory because he has it already. All glory comes from him. He shares it with us. Rather, our job is simply just to point the finger and say, this is the glory. Look at the glory of God. Look at Jesus Christ and see him full of, full of glory. Point to him. That's the testimony of Christians. I think it's the testimony of Paul as he was uh, going about his ministry. One time he was an enemy of God, an angry and covetous man who stood watching as, as Stephen was the first martyr. Um, Stephen was preaching his, his heart out in his, during his last moments. Remember Acts chapter 7. And then he was stoned to death. And Paul was standing there. Remember the story? He was standing guarding the coats of the men who were throwing the stones at Stephen. He was joining in. He was really approving of all of this. And he set himself as a goal when he was older to, to stamp out this Christianity. And do whatever he could to find it and extinguish it. Until he met Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the Damascus Road. And his life was turned upside down, remember? As one who used to be an ardent enemy of the gospel suddenly became his greatest proponent. In every fiber of his being, he could see the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And every fiber of his being was then given to preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. I wonder if that transformation has happened to you. As we sit here this evening, has that transformation happened to you? Where the manifestation of God's glory come into your life has been one, at one point perhaps an occasion for fear for you, but then as you have seen Jesus, you have discovered that that glory is a wonderful thing and you want to bring glory to God and you want to live for him. See, it seems to me, that in the Christian life, there can be no place for a dull apathy when someone gets close to God. You're either for him or you're against him. And when you're for him, you're either fully for him or you're not for him at all. Yet why is it that so many professing Christians seem to be marked by apathy to, the th to things eternal? Because it seems to me that from the pages of Scripture that one thing a person cannot be who meets God is apathetic. You're either full of fear as someone concerned about your eternal destiny or you're full of, full of joy and a desire to bring glory to God and sing and speak his praises. And the only conclusion I can come to is that someone who is apathetic is someone who doesn't know God at all. Are you close to God this evening? As close as you could possibly be? Are you finding joy in the good news of Jesus Christ our Savior? Has your life been transformed by his revelation from on high? 
doesn't make you want to join with the angels in glorifying God. Well, one final thing to reflect on is this last statement in the angel's song. That out of glory comes peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is blessed. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If God is bringing his saving grace to a people, then of course peace is going to break out. That men and women are no longer in rebellion against God, but they are they're actually turned towards God. They become friends of God. They're made friends of God by grace. But of course, peace is not just simply the absence of conflict. It is the sense that everything is being put right by God in the gospel. Just, just listen to the number of ways that peace comes into the way that uh, the New Testament speaks of it. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus restores that vertical relationship between us and God. We have peace with God. Where once we were enemies. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. God promised that as we pray and bring our needs to God, this, quote, this peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in, uh, and minds in Christ Jesus. And so you begin to know an inner peace, not only uh, external peace with God, but you begin to know a peace in your own soul as a Christian. And the, some of the tensions begin to abate that you have lived with. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, Paul is speaking about the church. And he's, he urges Christians to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That one of the things about the church gathering together is that it becomes an oasis of peace in the midst of chaos and tension. As this new humanity is, is pulled together by grace. Peace in all kinds of ways. We begin to see relationships developing in new ways amongst Christians that are unlike any others in the world. And then one more thing, one more verse, Romans 12, verse 8. Uh, Romans 12, verse 18 says, Paul urges again, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This time he's thinking about outside the church. This is how the church becomes a, you know, salt and light and, and becomes a, an influence in the wider world. Because that peace that you have experienced with God and you've experienced in your own soul and you begin to experience amongst brothers and sisters begins to permeate out in all your relationships with men and women, all the people at your work, your neighbors, your family members who don't know God. Peace begins to, to permeate outwards. You have a new kind of relationship with them. So that's an amazing announcement, isn't it? From the, the angels on earth, be peace amongst men. Now, having said all that, it doesn't all come immediately. Of course it doesn't. There are still battles to be fought as Christians. And some of them are battles with our own souls, the conflict within and our own sin. Sometimes we do have tensions within the church as people disagree about things or maybe there are, there are sins in, in, 
in some people that are affecting the whole church and you have to deal with that. Yes, there's going to be some degree of conflict in it. But overall, the general trajectory is peace. Peace. As the grace of God permeates every aspect of life. And it's through this amazing grace of God, through as he works in the church, that we see people saved through the gospel and that this peace can be found. That's why the angels sing, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. It's not, it's not just a general peace, it's particularly amongst those with whom he is pleased. The people that God gathers into the church and are saved by grace. With those, with those whom he has pleased. They are the ones who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. They have discovered this grace. And they have discovered this glory. Have you found that glory this evening? Have you discovered what a joy it is to know this Savior? I hope so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the provision of your Son again. Thank you for the great announcement of it in these angels. We rejoice in your glory. Thank you that that is a glory that is, is to be shared with your people. And one day we will see the glory face to face and we will be glorified. So Lord, bless us as we press on and seek to glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.